Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, radio listeners. Richard and Hi. Linda Iyer are about to get back together after being separated for the last four days. Um, actually, I'm still on the road. I am at John Wayne Airport, California, and Richard is out in Utah. We're waiting for those flights and hoping they're not too late because we miss each other. I don't want to get all sappy and syrupy here, but it'll be good to have you home. And, of course, those of you who listened last week know that we were both in Orange County for nine or ten days trying to help our dear son and his dear wife with their fifth child. We helped mainly by staying with the other four And this is a little baby, as we mentioned last week, that has some heart issues. And if she'd been born a few years ago, she would have looked fine, would have gone home from the hospital, and then probably would have died within a week or so because one of the ventricles in her heart is not functioning. But in today's world, they're taking care of it, and we have every confidence that uh, she'll be heading home in two or three weeks. Actually... I cannot quite believe how amazing the medical field is these days. Oh, my gosh, this would have been a distance for sure not too many years ago. And now, the more we learn, the more amazed we are at what's going on. Um, This little girl's heart is the size of a walnut, and they're able to go into her heart with a catheter. And they are going to, uh, actually today, they went in through and they had the most amazing experience because they went into the ventricle and opened up the right, um, the pulmonary artery, which is what we needed to have opened up. It was closed up, went through there. Now, try, the now by the way, there. now try to imagine this happening in a little heart the size of a walnut that's beating 120 or 140 times a minute. It just, it, you know, it blows our minds, and we're just so grateful. And we're grateful for the stalwart son and daughter-in-law who are standing up under this kind of pressure, and, and actually magnificently so. And we, uh, you want to give a few more details, Linda, but the, the main thing we want to do as we progress into the show today is talk about the kinds of crises that come to all families at one time or another. They take different forms, and they have different degrees of severity, but... The thing that's so interesting to us as we've watched families around the world is that crises does one of two things to a family. It either explodes it or blows it up or or uh, causes tremendous problems and ongoing discord, and that's usually in a family where commitments are not strong, or in families that are committed to each other. Crisis in, I, I'm just going to say it, Linda, maybe this is too strong a statement, but crises invariably bring greater strength and greater unity among family members. Well, that's absolutely true in most cases, although I have to say, well, first of all, let me just start by saying, I think I mentioned this last time, uh, when somebody asks us how our kids are, because we have nine of them and all kinds of different variations of one of every kind, um, it really is interesting because I always say, well, everybody's fine except the ones that are in crisis this week, because somebody's always in crisis, it seems like. I mean, whether it's buying or selling a house, you know, something simple like that to this really complicated heart issue. But it really is interesting that, it, it as you said, Richard, it can go either way. Um, we have been advocating um, leaving your children 
uh, something so that they can enjoy life after you've gone, but not too much and, and, you know, all that kind of thing. And we got a response on a column that we did last week saying that my parents left us a house at Bear Lake, our sibling, and it has absolutely destroyed our family. <laughs> it's become such a divisive thing because we didn't agree before we started who was going to manage it and how we were going to do it. So I think a crisis like that, I mean, it can either, as you said, blow you up or it can really refine you. It's a refiner's fire, these crises. And as long as the love and support is there, I think it's the latter. Well, and I I don't know how many people would consider being left a house at Bear Lake a crisis, but the crisis developed because apparently there weren't enough um, instructions or provisions or whatever in that will to cause that family to, to become more united rather than more divided. But but the crises that we have, that's a crisis of, of its own making, so to speak, but health crises and crises with with disabilities and crises created by the cruelty of others, uh, like bullying or other things. I mean, there are just so many. It's almost an overused word, crisis, but there are little ones and there are big ones. And I'll tell you, one thing about the big ones is they make you appreciate the small ones. It's like you find yourself wishing, oh, man, I wish I could go back to the time when the thing I was the most worried about was, um, you know, that the uh, – you know, we we're having a little hard time paying our mortgage or whatever. Those those things in the face of a crisis like this one with this little granddaughter seem almost like pleasant things because they're, you know, they're things that you can work on and struggle your way through, and and they're not things like like a life and death crisis, which nonetheless does create great bonds. I think all of our family members have prayed a little harder. I know we all have this last week, and. And we've felt closer to each other just through that kind of soul-searching and prayer and hope and all the other things that happen when, especially a little baby, something about an infant being in crisis where where there's nothing that the, the infant has done to bring it on and there's nothing the infant can do about it and there's nothing the parents or the grandparents can do about it and Really, you're down to sort of two sources of hope. One is the medical profession, and two is God. Yeah, I, I should really reverse true. the order on those two, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably so. Probably so. Um, but it is really true that, you know, there are so many different kinds of crises, and I think wherever you are listening to this show, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home or far away or whatever, um, it really is important for you to think back through the crises in your life. Um, I, as we mentioned last time, I, we hope that people don't think our life is just a bowl of cherries because so many things have happened. Um, when I think of the crisis, we almost lost a child once who was hit by a car and went through a windshield and might've been brain damaged and destroyed both of his legs. And he thought his, you know, his life would change forever. And, and actually I think that was a huge refining, uh, process for Jonah and for all of us. I mean, his love poured out from everyone. He was a middle child, and I think by the time he got done, he was never really a quote-unquote middle child again because everyone uh, showed their love so much and support and so on, and, and now he's strong as an ox and fine, but at the time, we didn't know, and I think uh, that brought us all together. Well, that it sure did, and ironically, this really is kind of a stunning irony, Jonah who had that, Jonah's had a number of near-death experiences. In fact, he's had more crises physically 
than um, all of our other eight kids put together. But the irony is he's our fifth child, and he was born nine weeks premature and spent his first 40 days in the in the University of London Hospital. We were living in England at the time and trying to get in 40 minutes if we were lucky on a train and then further by cab to see him each day at the hospital. And and the irony is that now this is our son's fifth child, and and uh, our son and daughter-in-law are almost exactly the same age that we were when we had this crisis with Jonah. And it's, I think that's been somewhat comforting to them to see that we made it through and that Jonah's doing fine now. And I think it's been a little bit comforting to us, Linda, to know that uh, it seems so overwhel- overwhelming and overbearing, and yet... It has happened before, even to us. So we're just we're mindful of a lot of these things. And I guess our message to you, listeners, today is that, uh, and I don't mean to be you know pessimistic or act like a doomsday scenario here, but frankly, it is true that it's not a question of if you'll ever have a crisis in your family. It's a question of when, and it's a question of what kind it will be. And the bigger question is, when that happens, will you? build on it as something that draws your family ever closer together and and that bonds you in in the effort to overcome the crisis or will it just sort of be the last straw that uh causes the family to really come apart and, and certainly we pray for you and for all of us that it'll be the former you know we have sometimes it's a family crisis i mean everybody's been involved in this uh, praying for this little baby this today and again, next week, it looks like she'll need another procedure. But sometimes it's just one person. So our youngest daughter was dating a guy that we all thought was a done deal on a marriage. And then suddenly he changed his mind and went. And she has been devastated. It's like the end of the world. And we, she knew and we knew that it would, in the end, it would work out for the best. But while you're in the crisis, it is so hard to see past the really hard stuff right in front of your nose. So, you know, as you think about your crises and what's going on, you know, whether it's, it's, it's something which seems like a silly thing at this point, uh, a breakup, um, or whether it's a lawsuit or something that's really horrendous in your life, you really need to think about whether you can make it better by going through the crisis or whether it's going to tear things apart, as you said, Richard. Absolutely. Now, um, I want to do, uh, we've got a couple of minutes before the break, and I have one more th- thought on, on a family crisis. And then I'm going to surprise you a little bit, Linda, with what I'd like to get into a little bit in the second half of the show. So be ready for a shock. I was going to say a shocker, but be ready for a surprise, okay? You know what? I when love, I'm married to you, I'm I love always surprises. ready for a surprise. I yes, love surprising do. Linda. In fact, it was Linda's birthday while we were down there in the midst of this crisis, and even there, my greatest joy was a little surprise here and there. So anyway, we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But one last thought on a family crisis. Um, some of the crises we have are really not crises at all. They're just they're just little bumps in the road. And it's it's a good idea, I think, to differentiate between something that is a real crisis that's beyond our control. That sort of, in the words of Abraham Lincoln, drives you to your knees because there's nowhere else to go. And and the the other kind of thing, which are just little bumps in the road. I mean, we used to laugh, Linda, that uh, with the little things that happen, crisis plus time usually equals humor. 
Like, you know, the the night when all six of your kids spilled their milk the same time and one of them got burned on the stove the same night and and you just it wasn't a bit funny at the time, but looking back on it, it's like, wow, how did all that happen in one night? <laughs> and you look well, back and it's it's amusing. There also are times when it is immediately amusing, although a little disconcerting. And we called once when we were on a book tour, and we called home to the babysitter, and we said, how are things? She says, well, everything's fine. I'll get a bunch of little kids. And she said, except that um, Saren has just hit something over the head with a frying pan, and Charity is in the bathroom for two, and she has locked the door, and she has lipstick all over her hands, and she can't open the door, and we don't know how to open the door. So, you know, those kinds of things are if you have a two-year-old there, those are happening every day. We could tell you about ten from this week working with our two-year-old. But as you say, with our, you know, with our grandkids, the, the, this crises are even—they're even more frequent with grandkids. Have you noticed, Linda? There must <laughs> but at any rate, uh, let's let's that. take a brief break, and then uh, when we come back, we're going to surprise you with a with a completely unrelated topic, but one we think you'll find very interesting. See you in just a few minutes on the other side of this break. phones during the break, Linda. Do I sound better or worse? Yeah, you sound better. There was a little static, sorry that about that, but um, anyway, I can't wait for the surprise. What's up? Well, you know, the, uh, while I was waiting for the, the show to start tonight, I'm watching, um, I'm watching TV. You might be able to guess I'm watching the NBA playoffs like I always do, right? So I'm, Of course. And, and what I'm what I'm focused on, and what so many people are focused on, is this uh, owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. And by the way, I think it's appropriate to bring sports in here for a minute because our show follows, and not on the reruns, but on the live one, it follows the BYU sports show. So we might still have a few sports fans on the line. But even if you're not a sports fan, you probably know that the owner of the Clippers made some horrendous, racist, racial, racist statements about. Uh, African-Americans, and he is really taking the heat now, and the NBA is trying to decide what to do with him. But it prompted a column that we wrote this week in the Deseret News. It's actually not out yet, but it will be in a couple of days. And I just want to see what some of you listeners think. I wish we had feedback on this because, you know, Linda and I are old enough to remember the 60s and the 70s and the civil rights movement and so on. And Frankly, it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened in our country. The, the, the way we finally got past, so we thought, the incredible problems of segregation and racist people and everything from the Ku Klux Klan to just ridiculous bigots who seemed to thrive in this country for a, a while. And we really kind of thought we were past that, but then every once in a while something like this owner's statement comes up to remind you that unfortunately there's still a lot of prejudice and a lot of bigotry in our in our world. And so well, now, Richard, I'm speculating. Um, yeah, go ahead. You better tell us what he said. For those of us who have no idea, have been with kids for the last five days, what in the well, world did he say? Well, I think a lot of people have heard, but it was just it was incredibly uh, inappropriate. He, he told he was a, it was a conversation with his former girlfriend, telling her, "Please don't associate with black people, and for heaven's sake, don't have your picture taken with him." It stemmed from a photo she'd had taken with Magic Johnson, of all things, and so it was really bad. And here he is, the owner 
of a team in a sport where where black men are the heroes. They're the they're the best players in the world. So it's just completely Absolutely. inappropriate. But uh, at any rate, we wrote this column. I'll just give a kind of a quick overview and then get your thoughts on it, Linda. And it just asks the question: Will we ever get past bigotry and prejudice and so on? And 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 we started thinking of one of our favorite hymns, which is a beautiful song called "If You Could Hide a Kolob." And the third verse ends with, there is no end to glory, there is no end to priesthood, there is no end to so-and-so. And the last line is, there is no end to race. Now, maybe W.W. W. Phelps, the author of that uh, song, had meant the human race. I don't know. But if but if he meant race in the sense that we usually use it, then I kind of hope he's wrong. I kind of hope there is, at some point, an end to race, at least an end to racism. And I even mentioned there that uh, some of our kids have lived in such integrated neighborhoods, such completely uh, integrated in the sense of interracial marriage and all kinds of generational change to where you can't really walk on the street and say, well, that's a African-American or that's an Asian or that's a Caucasian. There's so much mixing of the gene pool through interracial marriage and children that you really can't tell. And I personally think that's kind of a delightful thing. And I think it's probably good for the the human race. It's the opposite of inbreeding. It's like really reaching out in the gene pool and having wonderful variety and it creates beautiful people. Some people might be horrified at that idea, but I hope not because one of the possibilities and d- demographers are seeing this happen. We're reading more and more articles that, uh, People are are becoming more alike, but but at the same time, in some ways, more beautiful. And I just think we may, despite this horrible statement by this owner, we may be getting to a point where people are not judging each other by the color of each other's skin. And, And the reason I bring it up on a parenting show is you parents out there need to go the extra mile to try to be sure your children really and truly understand that the color of one's skin does not matter to God and it should not matter to us. Yes, I I absolutely agree with that. We know we're going to get some pushback on that because there are a lot of people that just don't believe that. And, of course, it's not that we don't want uh, races to be like when we're traveling now in the U.S. You used to be able to tell where you are because, you know, there were different stores and there were different, you know, activities and so on. And now... All of these giant chains have taken over, and you can't tell where you are because it's all the same. Um, there's always the Chili's, and there's always the McDonald's, there's always the Burger King's, and so on and so on. But um, because these people that have this ethnic, these ethnic faces are beautiful, we don't want that to end. Um, it's great that you can look at someone and say, "Oh, I think you're from Mexico," or "I think you're from Israel," or whatever. And, and you're right that you can't tell as much as you used to be able to. So, But I think that's a beautiful part of life that you can tell. I mean, we can usually tell when we come back to America that we're here because there's so many people that are overweight after we've been in Asia. But um, it really is, I think it's important to have those different looking faces, and but, if, but to appreciate them and to well, think how beautiful yeah. they are. Yeah, that, and, I, and that, I'm glad for that clarification, Linda. I'm not suggesting it'd be wonderful if we finally got to a point where everyone pretty much looked the same. I mean, that would be terrible. That would ruin yeah, the wonder yeah. of, of diversity. But but I do think that we're we're getting we're actually getting a wider variety because you know as the world goes on, 
there are, you know, there are, what I hope, and this is silly to speculate, but I hope we, we always are able to say, I'm proud of my heritage in Africa, or I'm proud of my ancestors in Ireland, or whatever. I hope we retain the heritage and the characteristics of some of our wonderful ancestors. But at the same time, I think there will be enough. And, you know, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, isn't it wonderful that we're not where we were even 20 or 30 years ago, where to some people, an interracial marriage or, or a child who, uh, you know, came from two or more different ethnicities was was stigmatized. I mean, think how bad that was. And And now I think we're at a point where most people can say that's a wonderful thing not that we want everyone to be the same on the contrary this is what we're saying how wonderful it is that there's lots of variety in the world but that we recognize human beings are human beings and and yeah, i think absolutely and i think in some places in the world you made a good point Linda. in some parts of the world in some parts of this country it's more important for parents to emphasize that kind of tolerance and, and racial appreciation than it is in others. I mean, we used to split our time between homes in Washington, D.C. and in Salt Lake City. And when you were in Washington, D.C., you didn't have to do a whole lot of teaching about diversity. I mean, the kids' the kids' school class looked like the United Nations. I mean, every, every race you could think of was represented right in their classroom. But when we were back on the east bench of Salt Lake City, which, by the way, has changed here even since then, you could walk in their classroom and they all looked like brothers and sisters. And I think the more homogenous your neighborhood and your school is, the more important it is to teach your children how wonderful it is that all human beings are equal and that race is something that adds to the beauty of the world and not ever something that should create any sort of negative feeling or prejudice. Well, I have to say that I'm a little bit prejudiced the other direction lately because they sent us a picture of the team that went into work on our little granddaughter today with huge heart issues. If you missed the first half, she was born with um, um, really big problems with her little walnut-sized heart. And she went in today for a procedure, and they sent us the team. And there was Dr. Ng, N-I-G, which obviously was some kind of Asian name. And then two, let's see, three of the four other people were Asians. And the first thing I thought was, oh, thank goodness, those Asians are so smart. <laughs> well, that's a little they bit are. racist in, in, in itself. <laughs> in the opposite direction. They're so darn smart. I mean, they really are. They they have a different educational uh, feeling for the world, and they are just absolutely amazing. So I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, but I mean, I was so delighted to see that they were in, that she was in such good hands. Well, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing, and one of, one of the blessings we have in our life, Linda, is we travel so extensively, and I think I think we can genuinely say there is no part of the world we've ever been in where we haven't found a wonderful collective th- bunch of things to admire about the people who live there and the people who originated there and the and the history of that area. We've all got parts of our history that we're not proud of. I'm not proud of the slavery that went on in this country or of how we treated the American Indians. But So every country you go to has some black marks on its historical record. But the people everywhere we go, by and large, are so wonderful and so similar. I mean, that to me, that's the amazing thing. that We've had such a history of 
differentiating people by the colors of their skin, where in fact, their common qualities, the things that are the same, their humanity, their love for each other, their ability to look and try to do the right thing are so vastly more important, and they cut across all nations and all people. So that's what we need to teach our cats. We do, and as we wrap up today, we hope that we've helped you think a little bit about the crisis in your life and figure out whether or not that has helped you or not. And And the fact that, you know, the world crisis of prejudice is hopefully getting better and so that we can love love one another no matter what. See you next week on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.